0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Do you remember the moment in your life when you first lost heart? When you first lost heart? Do you remember when as a child or an adolescent or maybe even an adult, you first felt in your gut, in your gut, that something is wrong in the world, that life is simply not the way it's supposed to be. Um, Another way to ask this question is, when did you, in your life, and I'm guessing it was early on, when did you come face to face with disappointment in God? When did you first lose heart? What comes to mind in my own story is is not so much one event, but but a series of events in my childhood that left me with this overwhelming sense that the world around me was completely out of my control. So I could I can't control um, whether my little league game is going to be rained out. I can't control the death of my grandparents. I can't control the happiness. Of my own parents I can't control the teasing from classmates and God have mercy on me I cannot even control whether that girl that cute girl in the back of Miss Phillips class is gonna check yes on the love note that I give her (laughs) so for me as a kid for me as a kid I think these, these events all added up to this sense that everything's out of control. And I think that, I, well, for me, I think it crushed my little heart. I think it began for me a lifelong battle with losing heart in God. Losing heart in God. In our text today, Luke relates a story that Jesus told. Did you get the very opening verse? We get the whole point of today's sermon and gospel in the opening verse. Jesus tells a story about, quote, the need for his followers to pray always and not to lose heart. He tells a story about the need to pray always and not to lose heart. Now, the story is a simple one. There's a woman who's been taken advantage of, let's use our imaginations, let's say she's been taken advantage of by a crooked auto mechanic, all right? She brought her car in with a bad spark plug, and the mechanic deceitfully replaced her whole transmission. She wants to make this right, so she contacts the local authorities, but there are two problems. One is she's a widow, and in in her day, widows don't have any power. They don't have any representation with the judge. They don't have any societal uh, support. Here's the second problem. The local authorities were crooked. The text says the judge doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. So two problems. But By the way, you can imagine, just to get really a sense of the time that, that this story comes from, we can imagine that maybe the judge would have heard her case if she could have bribed him. But she's a widow, so she can't produce that kind of money. So what does the widow do? The text says, well, she uses the only tool at her disposal, her persistence, right? Little by little, her justified, persistent cries to take care of this crooked auto mechanic finally wear the judge down to the point that even his apathy is defeated. And did you get this? The judge fears that she will, quote, wear him out, which is a funny Greek expression that Translated literally means something like, he feared she was going to give him a black eye. That's in the Greek. Now, when we think about the meaning of this text for us, it's tempting to see ourselves as the widow and God as the judge, right? The angry judge. But Jesus is actually doing something a little different here. He's using a storytelling technique that he uses often in this gospel, where he takes the listeners of his parables from a lesser thing to a greater thing. So he says, for example, if a crooked judge, a lesser thing, will grant you justice just because of your persistence, then how much more will your loving and kind and righteous Heavenly Father Respond to your cries for help. Do you see that? From a lesser thing to a greater thing. He does this a lot when he tells parables. Now, here's what's fascinating. He closes his story with a really provocative question. He says, listen, God is going to answer your cry for justice. Of that, you can be sure. What's not certain is in the end whether God will find anyone who has faith. That is to say, anyone who hasn't lost heart. That's the question. Our God will respond to our Christ for justice. Will anyone still be asking Him for justice at the end? Now, um, imagine, imagine with me for a second Luke's readers, not the characters in this parable, but Luke's first readers, listening to this story about a persistent widow not losing heart, about 30 to 40 years, let's say, after Jesus left the scene. Are you imagining this? So they're reading this gospel story for the first time. Jesus has left their, this world 30 to 40 years ago. And they're wondering, now after Jesus has gone, was this all a sham? This Messiah that I believed in is, is, was he making this up? Is he really coming back? So just like us, today, Luke's first readers are encountering this story of a persistent widow sort of in the now and not yet, right? Between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, when we are all at risk of losing heart because this world is simply not the way it should be. The king has come, and he brought the kingdom, but it's not here in its fullness. And so we still encounter all kinds of mess. Jesus says, if you want to know, disciples, readers of Luke's gospel, and also right now, 21st century people, if you want to know how not to lose heart, Luke says, Jesus says to pray. Jesus says, keep praying. So my question is, what is it about prayer that helps me not lose heart, right? And I think I can illustrate the point this way. We have a nine-month-old daughter, Daphne, and, she, um, and when she has trouble sleeping, uh, which is right now, God help us, almost every night, when she has trouble sleeping, she wants to comfort nurse, okay? The problem is that Daphne's little body needs sleep as much as she needs to eat. She needs sleep, perhaps you could argue, at night. There are a host of views about this. She needs sleep perhaps even more than she needs to comfort nurse. And so even though it's tempting for Mindy to run into her room at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. and feed feed her just for comfort, in the long run it's actually self-defeating because It keeps her from the rest that her body needs. Now, Daphne doesn't know that, right? So what does she do? She cries and she cries and she cries and she keeps crying. And if I had hair, I would be pulling. And she keeps crying. And even though I'm not really the one she wants because she wants to nurse, even though I'm not the one she wants, I nevertheless will go into her room and I'll hold her as her father and I'll rock her until she falls asleep. More to the point, when Daphne wakes up crying in the middle of the night, I have to tell you that while I, wa- I-, I may wake up grouchy at first, because it's 3.32 a.m., right? I may w- wake up grouchy, But when I get about the 10 feet it takes to get me into her room and I pick up that little bundle of tears and sniffles and I put her on my shoulder and I hold her. You know that little sweet thing that babies do when they're still kind of crying but kind of (laughs) not? My father's heart, like every father's heart, gushes with love gushes with love. I'm not angry at her. I'm not angry at her. This is prayer. This is prayer. This is why prayer helps us not to lose heart. Because in the midst of our messy and disappointing lives, in the midst of divorce, in the midst of job loss, in the midst of lots of human pain and heartache all over the world, in prayer, in prayer, What we're doing right now, in prayer, our persistence is met with God, our Father's presence. Did you get that? In prayer, our persistence is met with God, the Father's presence. And his heart is gushing with love for us. Even when he chooses not to give us exactly what we want, to comfort nurse. His heart is gushing with love for us. And as he holds us in prayer, which is what's happening right now, the Father is holding the Cathedral Church of St. Luke as we pray to him. I imagine him whispering something like this to each of us, little one, trust me. Little one, don't despair. Little one, don't lose heart. Little one, don't give up. I am with you. I love you. And when I return, in the words of St. John's revelation, I, your Father, will wipe every tear from your eye. That's what happens in prayer. People of God, prayer is what we're doing right now. It's what we do every time we gather in word and sacrament. We are fulfilling and literally living out Luke chapter 18. We are the persistent widow lifting our cries for justice to our heavenly Father. So, for those of you today, for those of us today, who feel as though we are about to lose our grip on God, lose our heart, would you hear the Father whisper to you in the hymns? Would you hear God, your Father, whisper to you in the liturgy? Would you taste it and smell it and touch it in the bread and wine? his presence with you today? Would you feel it in the embrace of a brother or sister in Christian fellowship? Would you hear the father say, child, I have got you. I've got you. I love you. I've got this world in my hands. And I am coming back to make all things new. To make all things new. So Christian, don't, Lose heart. Amen.